This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson! Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy, Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are probably not going to be moving forward in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, which we drafted last week. But that's okay, because we're still going to be here to talk hockey. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, is my opponent in the KKPP, but my friend in life, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. And yes, Elon, thank you for rubbing it in right off the top that we are uh, not looking poised to move on in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, which is a bummer, but it just speaks to the level of competition there is when we have a pool with our listeners. <laughs> Shout out to Tom, epic Neil time, who crushed it last week in our draft. And so far, uh, we'll see if your team can take you all the way. The only problem with Tom is he's got a lot of Boston, Colorado, Tampa, and Dallas players. And if both of those series end tomorrow or whenever their next games are, uh, he's going to have to hold on to this lead. So we'll see what happens. But here we go, Brian. We've got a lot to get to this week. This has been a pretty crazy week in hockey and in the world, of course. So let's start by talking about the big news from this past week, which goes beyond hockey, right? Like the Thursday and Friday games got postponed. Uh, but this came after the NBA, WNBA, MLB, MLS. They all postponed games on Wednesday to protest the Jacob Blake shooting. NHL took a lot of criticism for being one of the only leagues to play games on that Wednesday. Uh, then they did cancel the next two days. Then I saw a lot of people mad on Twitter at the NHL. Like on the other side, there was like a hashtag boycott NHL trending which is really stupid like people mad that they did take those two games to reflect on everything going on and protest racism so i don't know it, it, anyway brian i know you have a lot you wanted to uh say about this so i'm just going to give you the floor after my awkward introduction and please go ahead Sure. Yeah. It felt like this watershed moment, right? When, uh, when, when the basketball teams in the NBA and the WNBA decided they weren't going to play and then hockey, uh, goes and does its thing, which is takes this really weird, um, like not quite on the nose and very uninvested, uh, attempt at like at doing something, which is just putting end racism on the scoreboard. And it sort of just called back to, uh, when this whole thing began, when this whole thing, when the when the when the hockey returned after all uh, the the Black Lives Matter protests that had been happening, hockey came back with the the weakest statement and the weakest show of unity and support. Um, and it just it, it just sort of called back to that and reminded me of how I felt. And like you you said, Elon, like you'll give me the platform and I, I can say whatever I want. But the truth is, 
I'm not the one who should be speaking, right? It's not my voice. It's not your voice. It's the voices of uh, black and indigenous people of color who we need to be listening to to understand exactly how we get out of this. Uh, I'm going to call it a pickle, but that really underserves what it really is for us all. Like the, the these deep seated issues of racial injustice that we had I, I, a couple days to think about, and Elon, we talked about whether we would even be doing a show tonight, uh, just to make sure that we're sort of giving the appropriate amount of time for people to, to reflect and process and think. Uh, and like, that's, that's all, that's all I ask anyone listening. Um, and like I said, instead of my words, uh, I'm gonna share, um, this is from, uh, an, uh, an interview at The Athletic. Uh, they did a, a round table with a number of um, representatives from different communities, uh, black and indigenous people of color. Uh, it was a round table for how, how we respond is going to be different. It's called NHL Social Equality and What's Next. And one of the people on the panel was Renee Hess, who uh, is the founder and uh, I guess you director of Black Girl Hockey Club, um, which has been growing and growing over the last, uh, it's probably about a year, year and a half now, if not longer. Uh, but that's how long I've been following. Anyway, Renee was part of the roundtable. And he asked her these four questions. And Renee posted her full answers on Twitter, which weren't all included in the article. So um, just going to share them here and, uh, and, and think about it. Um, you know, it, it's food for thought, I hope. So, uh, the first question was, what did you think of the NHL's decision to postpone games? Uh, and the answer was, it's important that black fans and players see those in the professional league standing together with the people on the issue of black lives. The essential part of this process is, of course, tangible steps to eradicate systemic racism in hockey, and the NHL has the opportunity to lead the way. And by the way, um, a lot of these questions that the Athletic asked were questions that I think a lot of fans had too, which is why I've chosen in them. Uh, second question was, why does the NHL and hockey's response to social justice issues often look different than other sports? And Renee's answer was that she thinks many non-black players and executives have the privilege to focus on hockey and not contemplate those identities, uh, intersectional and uh, identities. Anti-racism work requires engagement and discomfort. There's no better time than this watershed moment in sports history for the NHL to shift the narrative and show their fans that they believe black lives matter. Then when she was asked, what's a good next step for a sport? Looking to the future, that's still catching up on the race conversation. Other leagues have gotten in earlier and been working on it longer. Renee's answer was that the time for listening and learning is over. We need to take, we need the NHL to take tangible steps to diversify hockey, to address hiring disparities, financial gatekeeping, and racism in youth hockey. Education is key and conversations about police violence against black people and what the league plans to do when an inevitable instance of brutality happens again need to be made an ongoing priority. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a culture shift. And when asked what her realistic hope for the future uh, for racism in hockey was, it was that the hockey community realizes that having only 30 or so active black players in the league does not mean black issues aren't their problem. Uh, anti-blackness is not political, but a public health issue, a moral issue, a value system. Black fans and players are watching and waiting to see if the sport we love truly does love us back. And this sort of also calls back to something that uh, I watched this panel talk that we'll link in the show notes a bunch of, along with a bunch of uh, other resources. Um, but Kim Davis, who's this NHL senior executive vice president of social impact growth initiatives and legislative affairs, she said that the league has to be willing 
to, and the sport has to be willing to lose something in order to gain something down the road. And so she's actually even, you know, tipping to a business perspective, but also like not, that's not the first and foremost, especially if you watch the panel talk, which again, we'll link in the show notes. Uh, the idea was like, hey, you gotta, you're gonna have to have some skin in the game uh, for you to make some real progress. And if you lose some people along the way, uh, ultimately the reward will be worth whatever is lost. Um, and then I'll also mention one other thing, Elon, which is a, another answer about uh, from that same article. And this is from Duante Abercrombie, who is Washington's Fort DuPont Ice Hockey Club alumni and now an assistant coach at Stevenson University. When asked what the next step is for hockey and racism, his answer was, I'm going to fix my 10 foot radius. And like, I felt like this resonated with me and hopefully you as a listener. It's not a big thing you have to do. Uh, but if you can fix your 10 foot radius, there's not much I can do for someone across the country, but uh, I can definitely take care of my 10 feet. If I hear something said wrong at the mall or in one of my locker rooms, my peer group, my dinner table, that's where the conversations need to be had. These conversations are only uncomfortable because you haven't had them before. The more you have uncomfortable conversations, the more comfortable you get with having them. And if this all makes you uncomfortable or uneasy or you don't like it, like if you were mad about hockey not being there for those couple nights and you were stewing over it and you're stewing right now listening to us, I guess my one question for you would be, you know, like, why, why is that? And I think if you take some time to, to find the answer, I, 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 I hope you'll come to the conclusion that this is all, um, this is all what's needed right now and is all something worth supporting. We're going to leave a whole list of links for you. Um, but if you want to make that earnest and sincere effort to get educated and, and learn about the whole idea of anti-racism and how it's related to sports and how it's related specifically to hockey, uh, we're linking a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of articles, a bunch of Twitter follows, like media people, organizations, players, and fans in the show notes. And also we will share some links to organizations we've made donations to as well. Um, at the end of the day, uh, for us, fantasy hockey is for everyone, and it's really important to us uh, in our community that uh, everybody listening hopefully makes the the earnest effort to listen to what's being asked of you in supporting racial uh, justice and equity, and, uh, and to step up to the plate when the time is called for, which is now, in my opinion. Okay, great stuff, Brian. Yeah, definitely check out our show notes for a lot more content. And we'd love to, you know, engage, like tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions about anything Brian was saying, or you want to just discuss, like, I feel this is an important issue. And yeah, I mean, now we're going to get into some nonsense, like, relatively speaking, compared to this, like, there's some serious stuff. And now, Brian, I guess we'll transition into some very non-serious fun stuff. I guess the idea is, of course, we're going to try and go on and live our lives in a meaningful way and do what we need to feel good and happy, but not to ignore whatever else is happening, which is why I think we had this conversation at the top of the show, rather than at the bottom. There are certain things you need to address and face up to before going on with the rest of your life as normal. All the resources, by the way, that we've mentioned are going to be available uh, in the show notes, as we said, but you can also go to keepingcarlson.com slash BLM to see the full list. 
Right, yeah, and that link will also be in the show notes, so you don't have to worry if you missed it, but yeah, keepingcarlson.com slash BLM. Okay, Brian, so let's go and talk about uh, the next biggest piece of news in the NHL this past week, which obviously is a lot farther down, but I guess a big deal, especially to Leafs fans out there, because they pulled the trigger on a deal sending Kasperi Kapanen to the Penguins. We'll talk about that, obviously, in just a second. First of all, Brian, I didn't even know, or maybe I knew, but I had forgotten that teams are allowed to make trades like while the playoffs are still going to me. I don't know. It just felt a little bit unfair. Like Imagine if the Colorado Avalanche like were interested in potentially trading for a captain, but they're a little busy right now because they're you know fighting for their lives in a playoff series against Dallas. They don't have time to be negotiating trades, and all of a sudden, oh, oh it's too late. Like, it just seems like such an odd rule that like teams are allowed to make trades that are eliminated even though there's other teams still playing. What was even weirder was when the playoffs began and there were only, like, including the play-ins, uh, there were just the seven or eight teams that weren't in the playoffs could still trade. So Ottawa and New Jersey could have technically pulled off a trade while the other 24 teams in the league were starting their playoff runs. That would have been funny and entertaining. I'm actually looking down the list. I don't think any of those teams who are out of the playoffs made one, but uh, it would have been fun. I, I'm all in. To uh, <laughs> it, it does seem knee-jerk, though. Like I don't understand why Pittsburgh and Toronto felt the need to do this now, but by all means, go ahead. Why wait? I mean, if there's a GM that's happy with the offer, you know, it's just like in real fantasy hockey, right? You don't want to wait and let the trade fall through. Like, if you're happy with the deal, you got to pull the trigger right away before it gets pulled off the table. And I guess we can discuss now who we think's got the better deal, who should have waited. Uh, so just to break down the deal, the Penguins sent Evan Rodriguez, who's been a guy we've talked about on the show now and then. I think he had a small fantasy impact on Buffalo a couple seasons ago. It was they sent Rodriguez, a prospect named Philip Hallander, which, who's apparently someone who people are somewhat high on, and they think maybe he'll make the Leafs roster in the next season or two, uh, David Wierowski and uh, 2020 first round pick, 15th overall. So that was the package to the Leafs in exchange for Kapanen, uh, Jesper Lindgren and Pontus Auberg. Uh, Kapanen, by the way, two years left in his contract at 3.2 million AAV, which doesn't sound too bad, but I know for the Leafs who are so cap strapped, like I guess they're just trying to shed salary wherever they can. So they get a pretty decent return. It looks like they get this prospect in Hallander. They get a first round pick who obviously you'd expect is going to turn into something good. Uh, it's also a very interesting trade just because it's like fitting. The Leafs actually acquired Kapanen from Pittsburgh five years ago, almost to the day, like, uh, you know, a month ago in June, like 2015, they got Kapanen from Pittsburgh in the Phil Kessel trade. So that trade was Kessel, Tyler Biggs, Tim Erickson, and a 2016 second round pick for Scott Harrington, Kapanen, who ended up being the big return, Nick Spalling, and a first pick in the 2016 draft. I was just digging into this, Brian, because I was interested. Uh, so that first round pick in 2016 that Toronto got uh, for Kessel along with Kapanen they ended up trading that pick to Anaheim in the Frederick Anderson trade and Anaheim ended up taking Sam Steele with that pick and he's someone who uh, people are pretty high on he had an underwhelming rookie season but people seem to be very excited about him moving forward so Brian before we dig into the trade uh, would it be crazy for me to ask you at this point should we rank the four people involved in this trade tree who have some fantasy relevance right now like uh, Kapanen, Steele, Kessel, Anderson. Obviously, Kessel, you know, has had a great career, but at this point, you know, a huge dud in these playoffs and and in this season, aside from, I guess, he had a good round against Nashville, but he really blew it for me in the KKPP. Is this a really stupid question to try to rank these four people in terms of their actual, not fantasy, like NHL value right now, if you were trying to like trade them, see what you could get for them? This is why you're the best, Elon. And the dregs, uh, like we're not in the official offseason yet, but we might as well be for fantasy terms. You've come up with this great question with history for us to find something to talk about. Uh, it does feel like pretty obvious on how to rank this trade tree. You've got to go Freddie Anderson first, easy. Then 
I think it's Phil Kessel, at least if you're asking me today. And then I, I would say Sam Steele and before Kasperi Kapanen. I think there's still reason to be optimistic. But Sam Steele, remember, this was just his first full season. He's 21 years old, uh, which is, you know, a, a reasonable age. It's not an excuse to have a bad season as a rookie when we see, you know, if someone's 18, 19, 20, then it's bad. Uh, 21 years old by then as a rookie, you should be ready to go all in. But Sam Steele was playing on Anaheim. And there wasn't a whole lot for him to work with there. It seemed like he had the coach's confidence. He had Dallas Aiken's confidence. Uh, he was getting deployment. He was getting put in interesting situations. And he made something of it. Yes, 22 points in 65 games. Bad. <laughs> There's no other way to slice it. But on the whole, I don't see a reason to be so down on him after we were just uh, so high on him. Like his pedigree still remains from that crazy high scoring career uh, that Steele had in the WHL with Regina uh, and which he essentially did the HL equivalent of when he was a rookie in 1819. So good for Steele to have a a good first season in pretty rough circumstances. I still think He'll be better than Kapanen. I guess in terms of fantasy relevance, though, Kapanen playing up uh, in the top six in Pittsburgh would certainly make him relevant, just assuming he can make something of it. Yeah, I mean, I was just talking about real life value. We'll get into the fantasy in just a little bit. You know, I wonder, Brian, like, I don't think Pittsburgh would trade Kapanen for Phil Kessel if they had the option. (laughs) So obviously that takes contract into account, but I kind of am. Like, I wonder if Phil Kessel's actually the bottom at this point. Well, we'll have to see if he still has anything left next year. I'm starting to get the sense now. And then with goalies also, you know, Frederick Anderson, I guess he's on a pretty good contract, five million a year for, I guess, one more year. I believe. Uh, I don't know. Teams seem to be wary for trading for a goalie at this point, especially once it's someone in their 30s. So I don't know. Maybe I, I, I'm with you on Sam Steele, maybe above Kapanen. It would be interesting to see if Pittsburgh and Anaheim, who, who would think that they're getting the better deal there. But uh, for the other two, I, I don't know. But anyway, okay, that was a really silly question. So let's get to digging into the fantasy impact of this trade. Uh, the Leafs obviously made this trade, like I said, to, to shed salary. Uh, they get the prospect, they get the pick. Uh, so I don't know. We'll talk about the impact on them in a little bit. But obviously, the big thing here is Kapanen, who's an actual NHL player, going to the Penguins. It seems like the Penguins are banking on him being a top six forward. And they're banking on like, the reason why they're making this trade and trading prospects and a pick to get Kapanen is because they think their window is still open or they're trying to wedge it as open as they can. Like while Crosby and Malkin are still elite, uh, they want to see if they could take another kick at the can here. I saw a quote from Jim Rutherford, the GM of the Penguins uh, on a Sportsnet article. He said, uh, Kapanen plays the style that the Penguins play. Uh, so I guess he likes that about him, whatever that means. I guess like a two-way play. <laughs> Uh, we like his speed. We felt he was blocked out in Toronto on the right side behind Mitch Marner and William Nylander. Uh, we feel he can play in the top six. So obviously the, the big takeaway for me here is if the GM, and who knows if the coach will agree, we saw in Buffalo, sometimes the coach and the GM don't always agree on these acquisitions. You know, if you look at uh, Jeff Skinner, but it seems like the GM is saying that they want captain in the top six, which of course as people always lose their minds. I I feel like actually at this point, this is one of the rare times where people aren't really losing their minds as much. Usually when a player gets traded to the Penguins, everyone's like, oh my God, everyone grab this person in fantasy. They're going to play with Crosby or Malkin. I haven't heard that as much. I've mainly heard people saying Kapanen's not that good. And why did the Penguins pay a high price for him? But uh, I got to imagine if Kapanen 
does land in the top six, uh, that could be a good spot, right? He could play, let's say, with Crosby and, I don't know, Gensel, and that leaves Zucker with Malkin and Brian Rust. Like, that's a solid top six. That would actually make our lives a lot easier, Brian. If that could just be cemented, you know, maybe they could shuffle around in between them. But if we don't have to worry about the Dominic Simones and the Zach Aston Reeses and Connor Sherry's of the world, you know, jumping in, we have to figure out, does this person have fantasy value? I, I can't decide. And also, you don't know if they're going to last. So I hope Kapanen sticks in the top six just to make our lives easier. And yeah, we'll see if it works out for the Penguins. Uh, but what do you think? First of all, I guess, so I guess the main two questions are, do you think he's going to be able to hold a spot playing on the wing with either Crosby or Malkin all season? And then like, if yes, what kind of upside should we be looking at? Because Kapanen's coming off a 43-point pace season, which is a bit of a disappointment. His previous season, he had a 46-point pace. So he hasn't broken 50 yet. You'd got to think he should be able to do it if he plays all year on the wing in Pittsburgh, but I have a feeling you're going to say maybe not. I'm just going to say this is the same story that we, we've seen this movie before. Elon added another name to the pile, Kasperi Kapanen. I can't feel any more certain that Kapanen is going to do much more if he does get that spot next to Crosby in the top six and guys like Dominic Simone or Connor Sherry did, who, by the way, aren't awful and have looked okay there, either like Simone recently, Sherry not so recently. Um, but I still think they both count as competition to Kapanen. Uh, though, of course, if Mike Sullivan thinks it's Kasperi Kapanen's job and he had a say in acquiring him, uh, that's all that matters. Uh, I'm not saying that I, I don't want Kapanen to take the spot, which would mean, by the way, there'd be zero top six spots in Pittsburgh for us to question and comment on the revolving door, which is like never happened in the history of this podcast. That'd be very exciting from a personal standpoint if Kapanen could hold on to that uh, top spot. But uh, also when he did get a turn in Toronto this year, which didn't happen often, uh, he didn't do very well in it. He, he, he only got five or 10 games playing up with, with Austin Matthews. And I don't know, this, this could be a chicken or an egg thing. Uh, was, did he not get the games because he didn't play well or did he not play well because he didn't have enough, uh, enough runway to lead up and learn and, and build that chemistry? I, I don't know. But that is still a red flag for him coming into Pittsburgh, along with the inherent red flag of becoming Crosby's winger, which is truly a boom or bust spot. There's not a lot of middle ground from what we've seen in the past. So Kapanen's upside could probably be anywhere from 50 to 70 points. We have no idea. We haven't seen anything of him with Crosby, and we haven't seen barely anything of him for uh, over a calendar year now since he was buried for much of the season in Toronto. So we'll see if Crosby and Pittsburgh might be a better fit for him. I'm keeping an open mind, but this is not a slam dunk for me. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Also, we should point out that this whole conversation could be moot, right? Like, we we don't know what else Pittsburgh is going to do in the offseason. Maybe, like, they've been saying that they might be trading one of their goalies. Like, maybe Matt Murray is going to be going. Maybe they get a forward for Matt Murray, and all of a sudden we're looking at Captain as potentially a bottom six guy. So, you know, we're just talking about this now. Things can change. And yeah, I definitely agree with you. Nothing's a guarantee. I wouldn't even be surprised if Captain doesn't hold the top six spot and maybe he is like a middle six guy like third liner playing with like a nick bjugstad like a solid you know i not shut down line but you know like a two-way line that can be somewhat of a threat and also play responsibly which uh might not be such a bad thing for the penguins right like maybe they have dominic simone playing with crosby and they have captain on the third line and maybe they're very happy with how that works out for them obviously if they're winning games in the end so we'll have to see so yeah i personally like when you say 50 to 70 point upside if there's someone that is thinking that way in the draft and wants to take a risk i feel like i would just let someone else pick kapanen 
as of now, anyways, obviously, you know, there's going to be training camp, and depending on when your fantasy drafts are, sometimes you see, like, someone's having their chemistry with the line mate and you know like rutherford said he plays the way the penguins do so who knows maybe whatever he cross- whatever that means <laughs> like what does jim rutherford even I, honestly my confidence in jim rutherford and the penguins as a whole consequently has been totally shaken by this playoff experience and what pittsburgh gave up for Kapanen, like it, it's a lot this is someone who didn't look like anything special as a 23-year-old sophomore. You'd think you'd be buying low. And Pittsburgh's already doing Toronto a favor by easing their cap crunch. So it feels like a couple contracts would be all Pittsburgh should have needed to offer. Uh, but 15th overall in a good draft feels excessive. And so there's that move. And, of course, Rutherford's comments about uh, you know tripling down or quadrupling down at this point on Jack Johnson saying, you know, it's not his fault. The, the third pairing was fine, which, by the way, is a Mike Sullivan problem, too. So is Matt Murray, which is just like, who who – which executive is the one that believes the most in these guys and insists that they continue seeing ice time when it clearly did not seem to be the best thing for the team? And then you also say, uh, you know, the, the acquisition of Jason Zucker looks really good and it probably still could be. But the Penguins had these issues on defense that maybe they should have solved before adding a, a piece to Crosby's wing, uh, which is not a spot where you're going to get a whole ton of added value because Crosby's so good just on his own. So, uh, yeah, what, uh, sorry to go off on a rant there, Elon, <laughs> but just when Jim Rutherford is talking, plays the that's the talk of a GM who's ready to lose, uh, in my opinion, like ready to lose his job, uh, not who wants oh, to wow. lose, but it's just like talking in a in an old, outdated way. He plays Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. That's a, that's a way to say uh, I personally like him and think he fits in with the team. It's not, for me, a real meaningful justification. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, you know, they're, it's like PR, right? They're trying to justify the trade to their fans. It's similar how, like, oh, Jack Johnson was great because he's the guy under contract. Justin Schultz, he was terrible. He's garbage because he's a UFA and they have no interest in bringing him back, obviously, yeah. the way they're talking about Justin Schultz. So we'll see what the Penguins do. Uh, they'll, maybe they'll sign someone in UFA. They might Maybe we'll trade a goalie and we'll see how they look for next year. Uh, interesting situation to follow. Over on the Leafs, uh, so we've obviously got Tavares, Marner, uh, Matthews, Nylander, and Zach Hyman, they're probably locked into the top six. And then we had, you know, Kapanen, like you said, sometimes took a turn with Matthews. He also took some time on the Tavares line. So that was someone to for Andreas Janssen, like Ilya Mikheyev to compete with. So theoretically, I could see this trade, again, assuming nothing else changes, but I could see this potentially being good for a Janssen or a Mikheyev just to give them a better shot at hanging in the top six for longer in Toronto. That's kind of the only main fantasy impact I could think of on Toronto. I have a hunch the Leafs aren't done. Like, they need D, uh, and I feel like it's likely they'll maybe make another trade of some middle bottom six person. I've also even heard rumors that they might trade Frederick Anderson, so who knows? I- I'm not going to read too much into the fantasy impact on Toronto here, but like, good for an Ilya Mikheyev or Andreas Janssen if they're, you know, if they're still, if Janssen's even still around next year. Yeah, I, I don't think much changes in Toronto because Kavanin wasn't really in the picture already. So there's there's not a whole lot of new opportunity. Uh, over on Dauber Hockey, Cam Robinson made the case for Nick Robertson being someone who stands to benefit because there's now this spot for him on the third line, which makes sense. But of course, in, in terms of fantasy, uh, his upside is going to be limited from that spot on the depth chart. Okay, so that is the Leafs 
and Penguins trade, and now we're going to get into some playoff hockey talk, what we've learned and seen over the past week. Before we get to that, though, let's take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode and all of our playoff episodes, and those are our friends over at DraftKings. Brian, I've been having a blast with our Keeping Carlson DraftKings League that we made over on our Discord. I don't know, we're doing a lot of like fun stuff with our patrons over the summer, but anyways, that's a whole side thing, but we've been doing this DraftKings League. We actually have a matchup going on right now. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, who I spent a lot of my budget on, only has one assist so far. So we'll see. This game is still going. Dallas and Colorado. But yeah, DraftKings is a ton of fun. Uh, So let me tell you about it. So first of all, it's not only for hockey. It's like open for all the different sports. It's daily fantasy. Uh, Specifically, I don't know if you're aware, Brian, the football season... A lot of people are into football. It's less than 10 days away with the reigning champs set to take the field to kick off the season. And there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. And to celebrate week one of football season, DraftKings is putting you in the center of the action with two shots at $1 million top prize. So get in on all the action now. Making it rain with DraftKings is easy. You draft your team, you stay under the salary cap, and pile up the points for, in football, yards, touchdowns, so much more. Uh, We play in hockey, (laughs) you might not be surprised to hear, and, uh, you know, goals, assists, shots. It's actually very interesting. You get a bonus if you, like, take, it's like a certain number of points for shots, and you get a bonus if you take, like, three plus shots. You really want to get those guys. That's that's one strategy I've learned. Not that I've ever won any of these things. Brian probably could give more strategy, but I found that you want to take the guys who take a lot of shots. Anyways... On top of that amazing offer that I just told you about, uh, DraftKings is giving away a share of up to $100 million. That's right. That's what it says. In prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. With all this cash up for grabs, there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings. And to get in on all of that action, download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use the promo code Carlson, Eric's last name, to get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize. And for a limited time, get your share of $100 million in prizes once you enter DraftKings' free survivor pool. That's promo code Carlson to get in on all of the action for a limited time only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Other terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings. Dot com for details. DraftKings. I thought you were going to say like a tagline there. You know, I was trying to and it didn't come. Do a draft and feel like a king. I don't know. This is like the worst. And then now we'll try to think of something better for next week. Uh, yeah, if you're interested in playing with us, we have like free leagues and like $1 leagues that we're playing with our patrons and listeners. So just like message us at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. Or if you're a patron, like message in the Facebook group. We'll let you know how to join our DraftKings League and you could beat me every day. Brian, I suck at this. I don't know why. It's hard. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I, I like I've been doing well, but it's a lot. Like I, I take no credit for doing well. Today I decided to go with Thomas Grice in net because he's playing against Philly, so watch him get blown up. That game's about to start. Uh, and I decided to go a couple of Vancouver players, because I feel like Vegas is probably going to play Flurry, and I just think it would be funny if Flurry sucks after that whole incident with the, his agent posting how he was stabbed in the back. So now I just think that if Flurry plays really badly to justify the Golden Knights' decision to play Leonard like, even more. So I don't know. You probably shouldn't be making your lineup decisions based on what would be the most funny outcome. But uh, <laughs> maybe that's why I haven't won so much yet. Yeah, so maybe just uh, change your ch- change your choices to go with the most somber outcome, the least funny outcome. Yeah, the most boring outcome. I know Ben, our friend from Short Shifts, he would say the most boring outcome is for the Islanders to do well and win, which is why I'm wearing my Islanders hat right now. Just to oh, uh, you win that Islanders hat. 
Well, hey, they keep winning. I'm going to keep wearing the hat. I was saying I was going to buy a new hat at the end of the playoffs and going into next season, but maybe I just got to double down on the Islanders. But okay, we'll get to the Islanders. I wanted to start by actually talking about this series of the Canucks and the Golden Knights. Uh, they're playing another game today, but right now we're at a situation where it is two games to one for Vegas. Tyler Toffoli returned for the Canucks for game two of that series. He made an immediate impact in the 5-2 when he picked up a goal and two assists. Remember, he was out for like the large majority of the playoffs. Then he comes back right away goal to assist to fully really cementing himself as like such a great acquisition though obviously things didn't go as well yesterday for him the Canucks were shut out by Leonard so no one got any points uh the Canucks actually went with some interesting lines in that game they had uh Pedersen with Toffoli and Tanner Pearson then Horvat with JT Miller and Brock Besser so like we haven't seen Pedersen and JT Miller or Horvat and Tanner Pearson split up like pretty much at all all season but I guess Travis Green was trying something new yesterday Clearly didn't work that well. They didn't score a goal. Obviously, Leonard gets a lot of credit, but I'll be interested to see what the lines are tonight. So maybe if you're listening to the show, uh, check out at Game Day Lines. We'll, we'll have retweeted at that point what the lines were. Uh, obviously, we still have a lot of playoffs to go, but Brian, I'm curious to know, where's your head currently at with Tyler Toffoli? Because correct me if I'm wrong here. I know we talked about, obviously, we talked about the trade. I think we talked about Toffoli again around the start of the playoffs after he had that great run with the Canucks, like right at the end of the season before the pause. And I recall you saying something like, oh, well, you know, we've seen him already for so long on LA and he's had such a long track record of being such like a less than 50 point guy for so long now that you didn't see yourself projecting Toffoli for more than like, you know, around 60 points, even if he stays on Vancouver next season. Like, tell me, first of all, if I'm correct, that's what you said. And then I'm curious, is that still how you feel? Because I don't know, just seems like he's doing so well now that he's getting this top deployment like clearly the coach likes him like he's earning this top deployment both the top line and top power play I'd be really interested to see what he could do if he was on a team for a whole season that's actually like reasonably good at scoring unlike the LA Kings and if he was in this top deployment position I feel like maybe there's an upside here that we need to be ready for for sure. So I don't think that you're characterizing my position. Well, like, maybe that is what I said. I, I don't think it's what I meant or what I, the full story of what I said. I, I think what I said was, uh, well, we've seen him look great with Elias Pettersson and Zafoli's clearly in a more offensive situation than he's ever been in before. I believe my answer about Toffoli's upside hinged and still hinges on exactly where Toffoli ends up next season. Needless to say, most situations are going to be better for Toffoli in an offensive way than what he had in Los Angeles, especially towards the end, like especially this last season and the one before it where the team was really in the tank. But at age 28, it also could be tough for Tyler Toffoli to get started at this point in his career of being uh, like a super offensive threat if he ends up uh, not in the most ideal place, which would mean not on Elias Pedersen's wing. So I, I really I, I don't want to disappoint you, Elon. I have no deep thoughts here on Toffoli other than I think what you would assume and most people would assume would be the case for him. I think Toffoli is going to be a product of his environment upside for 55, 60 points in an okay scenario. And then beyond that, in one that has seemed as perfect as the, the one that he currently has in, in Vancouver. Yeah, so I, I mean, we still have the rest of the playoffs. Then he's an unrestricted free agent. But I'm excited, Brian, because at some point you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is and actually, like, I don't know if that was the right idiom to use, but, like, at some point you're going to have to actually, like, if he signs with Vancouver and now we know going into next season that he might spend the whole year or the major- large majority of it on the top line with Pedersen and on the top power play, we're going to have to pick a number. And I don't know, at this point, I feel like I'd be tempted to throw down, like, a big number, like 70, because Pedersen seems to only be getting better. And if Toffoli's going to play with him and JT Miller, like, for the majority of the season, like, I don't know, sky's the limit for me. 
if Toffoli plays with Pedersen, I'm, I'll sign up for 70. That's not a problem for me. Uh, but if he ends up pretty much anywhere else... I, I wouldn't. Okay, well, we'll see. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good situations in the league, but I guess we don't, I don't have to try to think of them right now. Uh, so then on the flip side, Toffoli came back. That meant that Brock Besser was bumped from the top power play. Uh, he had two straight two-assist games in the first round of the playoffs versus St. Louis, but after that, he's had a very quiet playoffs. Only one goal and one assist in his last seven games going into today's game. So watch Besser now, like, get a hat trick. But I don't know, like, this is also after he ended his season, like, before he got injured with only six points in his final 15 games. So if you're a Besser owner in like a dynasty league right now, I imagine you got to be pretty worried about this guy. Like imagine two years ago. Remember when Brock Besser like broke out? I think it was Pedersen's rookie season and Besser was having this great year. He was on pace for like 40 goals before he got injured. Imagine telling someone two years ago, hey, guess what? In two years, the Canucks are going to be like in a playoff run and Brock Besser won't even be on the top power play. You think you're great. And then you say, oh, and guess who will be on the top power play? It'll be Tyler Toffoli and JT Miller are going to be the guys ahead of him on the depth chart and getting that power play time. You'd think it's crazy, but here we are. That's the reality right now. I'm curious, like, Brian, uh, how worried should Brock Besser owners be? Because this almost reminds me of an Alex Dabrinkit situation in Chicago. Like, he seems like a good player. We've seen, like, a great season out of him, but now it seems like he just keeps getting pushed farther and farther down. You can't even get on the top power play. What kind of ceiling can you have? Yeah, Dabrinkit is a really good... Uh comparison to bring it by the way someone who keeps coming up in our new discord server which we have available to our patrons so check it out patreon.com slash keeping carlson if you want to get in on that where there are conversations happening man uh over the summer which is still hockey time which is usually not the case but if you want to still engage in hockey conversations with us anyway uh brock besser okay if i have him in a keeper I think I'm trying to unload him. It, it seems like he just can't keep his coach happy enough for him to get continued consistent opportunities to do what we hoped he would do coming into the league. I'm not sure if that's Besser's fault or if it's his coach's, but we were looking at him before as a top flight asset who could score 34, 35 goals without issue, hopefully more than 40. And the thing about Besser is that his game has still been pretty good. Like all things equal. I wouldn't argue that Besser has taken a step back since his rookie season as a 20-year-old back in 2017-18, but I'd also argue that Brock Besser hasn't taken that step forward either. That would be the difference between a promising young talent and a blue-chip offensive guy to roster in your lineups. So is Brock Besser being held back from achieving his true potential? Maybe. I wish I had a little more of the inside scoop here to know uh, if he can't take the step himself, if Besser's not capable, or if it's because his coach or some other factor is depriving him of the opportunity to do so. But while I wait to find out and see how this story plays out, I don't necessarily want to sit with Besser on my roster either. So I I guess if you do own him in a keeper format, uh, don't give him up for nothing, right? He's still only going to be 23 next year. Uh, There's still a lot of things that can change and improve for Besser, but I would shop him and see if I can find someone willing to give me a similar return on Besser And Elon, you're about to give me a reality check here, but a similar return on Besser to what I might have gotten one or two years ago at this time. Why? Why would anyone do that? (laughs) Maybe someone loves the Canucks. You can't. Okay. You have to give real (laughs) advice here. Yours. I asked you if people should be worried. You're saying to dump him. I'm thinking, wow, you're so down on Besser that you're saying even like sell low because now his value is at its lowest and you're still saying you probably want to unload him while he still has some perceived value. But no, that's not what you're saying. You're saying no, sell him for his highest ever value that he ever had. 
That yeah, would be good. I'm, sure. I'm saying shop around. Maybe if you're really lucky, I'll find someone who hasn't been paying attention. And all likelihood, no. everyone is okay. In all likelihood, everyone is paying attention. And uh, you, look, you might. It's about how much risk you can stomach, right? This is going to be a managerial, personal choice. If I owned Besser and a keeper, I think I would be stubborn and hang on to him because I can't see his value sinking so much lower than it is right now. So I would rather keep him for another year, another two years, see if things start looking on the up and up. Because honestly, even if he does get buried a little bit with the emergence of Bo Horvat, maybe Besser doesn't get on that top power play and or, or on a consistent basis. But at least he's got a center to play with no matter where he lands in the top six, assumptively, uh, and that hopefully he doesn't get kicked out of the top six and move to the third line, uh, which I think we've seen happen or threaten to happen. Basically, I'm saying, look, be worried if you're a Besser owner, but the sky hasn't fallen quite yet. I'd hang on unless you can find a, a way to unload him that you think is really uh, still still nice in the return. But I wouldn't sell him at his lowest value. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, I guess at this point, first of all, we don't know if Toffoli's actually coming back. So I guess, obviously, you could wait and see. Uh, also, you could always say, well, you know, he was injured. Like, who knows if he's, like, a, at 100% right now. Maybe that's the reason why they're playing other players in, in spots ahead of him and why he's, like, not getting so many points in these playoffs. Also, it's just a small sample size. So, yeah, it's a tricky situation. But it's, you know, him and Dabrinkit. I know you've been saying in our Discord, Brian, how, like, you, I still believe in Dabrinkit's value. And, like, why not? It's just a bummer for him that, like, Kirby Doc and Dominic Kubali could both kind of gone ahead of him in the depth chart and are getting that good power play time and like we'll see now with Besser if he can get back to that good spot where he could potentially threaten for 40 goals again uh yeah who knows we'll talk about it more in the summer obviously but something to think about I think these these playoff episodes where we're just talking about the fantasy impact of like a few playoff games it's more like food for thought you know here are the things I'm thinking right now while I'm watching these games we don't need to come to any conclusions just yet uh though I guess the Penguins and the Leafs are coming to conclusions and making trades so maybe people in their fantasy leagues are also deciding to make some trades anyway uh on the other side of that series we have the Golden Knights and like Tyler Toffoli we've got another guy who's greatly outperforming his LA days in Alec Martinez who just keeps putting up points in these playoffs uh his his assist yesterday brought him out of six points in eight games since the round robin. And that, along with all the blocks, even a decent amount of shots, makes me so excited for him next season. I hopefully, like, I guess I'm going to be drafting with a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, which is a bit of a bummer. But I need to join, like, some new league because I feel like I'll be able to get Martinez pretty late and I'm pretty high on him. Uh, I know, Brian, we just recently talked about him. We don't have to dig into him all again. But we did make that bet, I believe it was uh, two episodes ago, where we were deciding whether or not he'll be able to break 40 points next season. You said no. Uh, I just wanted to point out he's still doing well, but I'm, I'm guessing that nothing he does in this playoffs is going to change your mind in terms of your confidence in our bet that you're going to win this and he's going to be less than 40 points. Yeah, no, I'm not uh, I'm not about to buy in on him anymore. Honestly, I think 40 points, I bet was over under 39 and a half. That's generous for me, I think. That gives me a lot of room for him to still have a decent offensive season and for me to still win the bet. So, well, if it were lower, if it were like 35 points, I might be sweating. I'm still not sweating about 40 points. Maybe, like Tyler Toffoli, you know, he also came from L.A., Alec Martinez. Maybe he was also in a really crummy situation over the last couple of years. But even when L.A. was doing well, Martinez never really had big seasons. Like, I mean, Toffoli never had big seasons either, but... There was a little more promising than I've ever seen from Martinez. So no, I'm not changing anything that I've said about him. 
And even like, it doesn't even matter, right? Like no matter how many points he gets, let's say the Golden Knights go to the cup finals and he continues to be like at this like 0.75 points per game pace, like well above, like let's say a 50 point pace for the playoffs. I'm not saying he's going to do that next year, but like no matter what you see this playoffs, you're like sticking, you're like going to stick with this idea, right? Like you're saying what you've seen in LA, that tells you everything you need to know. What I've seen over the course of Alec Martinez's career in LA, yes, I've seen okay. what I, I I'm confident I've seen what I've need, what I need to know. But of course, Vegas is a great offensive team. It's not a bad place to be. It's a place that could make Nate Schmidt, who is like a solid guy, solid two way defender, uh, sort of like Mar- Martinez. But Schmidt hasn't had a huge breakout either. Points He's broken wise, forty. So I, He's broken forty. Yeah, he has. But I don't <laughs> think Martinez has that in him still. Schmidt's always had this like sort of like speedy, nimble edit where he could do these things if you asked him to, but he's generally not. Yeah, I mean, it's easy for me to be acting all cocky now because Martinez keeps getting points. But well, when the bet actually happens, too bad he didn't agree to stakes. If you ever feel you're, like you're so confident that you actually want to put something on this bet, uh, I'd feel pretty good about it. But okay, another golden night that we've got to talk about brian is alex tuck who's having himself a playoffs he's scored a goal in four straight games now going into today so we'll see if he can make it five he's doing all this from the bottom six on a line with nicholas roy and nick cousins and only power play two deployment like we were talking about besser who's you know still on a decent even strength line getting bumped from the top power play only two points in however many games obviously it's much nicer to be in vegas because alex tuck in the bottom six he's crushing it but this guy's a really good player like we've seen him do well before if you recall like i think it was before they traded for who was like Mark Stone it was like the season where they got Mark Stone like before and that bumped Alex Tuck down I believe that's correct anyways he was playing on a line with I think Paul Stasny and someone and he was doing really well and then this season obviously he didn't get that many points but you know he didn't really get the opportunity now in the playoffs even without the, like the greatest opportunity he's still like stepping forward though again it is obviously a very small sample size here do you see this as just a random streak uh you know a la I assume what you're thinking about Alec Martinez or is this run raising Tuck's draft stock for you next season like have you during this playoffs started thinking wow I think Tuck is even better than I thought he was going into this the only thing that could for sure raise Tuck's draft stock is for there to be a spot open in the top six for him and that just doesn't seem to be the case, unfortunately. I would love for Alex Tuck to get in the top six and do what we've seen him do there before, but he's going to need an injury to get there because Stone, Pacioretty, Stasny, Carlson, Smith, and Marcheseau, all of them are signed for for at least one more season. All of them except Stasny are signed for two more seasons beyond this one, and I don't think Alex Tuck is going to shift to playing center. So... I just worry that he's going to be waiting a long time to get his turn. I think it's actually more likely that, uh, say, someone like Cody Glass comes up and centers line three and makes that like, oh, that's a legit place to produce from. Still not the highest numbers that Tuck should conceivably get in a scoring position, but at least better than being on line three as it stands right now. Okay, so you're kind of saying that... What you've seen in these playoffs, again, it's like not affecting you that much, which has always been your brand, I guess. Yeah. Right now, he's scoring goals from line three, and now we're saying that maybe even line three will get better. So maybe he could just be a big goal scorer even from here. But I guess that's pretty rare to happen in the NHL, is what you're saying, for a player in the bottom six to be like a 20, 30 goal scorer. It's pretty rare. I don't know how far we'd have to go back. I feel like someone like Michael Grabner is probably the best example. Uh, like just pulling that out of nowhere, thinking that it's true. Uh, pulling up his numbers now. Yeah, he had 27 goals for the Rangers in 2016-17. But 
I'm confident almost like a huge chunk of those were empty netters. So, uh, and he also had a couple shorthanded ones too. So yeah, I just, uh, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay, Brian, how about this? Okay, Gohol Lywood on, uh, what is this, on YouTube here is saying a Tuck could replace Stasny. And of course you said, but Tuck doesn't play center. But theoretically, right, Marcheseau, I believe, has played center before, or at least I know that he was center left-wing eligible in fantasy. So that's how I know about what positions hockey players play. So couldn't they have Carlson and Marcheseau as the two centers and then get Tuck to replace Stasny and Stasny goes down to the bottom six? Maybe he plays with Cody Glass and all of a sudden they're, like, I think that there's room. It could happen. It could happen. Of course it could happen. I don't know the last time, like, that Marcia has played center. And by the way, you keep calling uh, this listener. Thank you for joining us live. Uh, Go whole Leewood. But, like, you take out the underscore and it's Go Hollywood, which I think oh. might be easier to say. Well, why does he have the underscore right there in the middle? I, I don't know why they do. Also, Please tell us. Uh, by the way, Go Hollywood also <laughs> asked earlier... Uh, or mentioned earlier that Besser, Besser might be a good player to buy low on. Elon, what do you think of that? I, I don't think, like, I said I wouldn't sell low, but I also am not sure I'd buy low on him. Which isn't which isn't a consistent way to, to play, <laughs> right? Like, you either have to think, like, unless you're just saying you don't know and you're just going to use this, like, uh, sunk cost fallacy. You're kind of saying, if I have him, I might as well just hold on because I've already had him this whole time. Like, anyways, I'm on the side that I wouldn't buy low. I know, like, it seems like he should be since, like, now he's doing the worst he's doing. But I was kind of with you before you at the end were like, oh, no, but you could trade him for, like, you know, Sidney Crosby or someone. <laughs> but, like, uh, I do think that I'd be concerned so also like with the injury history also so i, I don't know which haven't which hasn't been his fault by the way but it could be playing an effect what we're we talking about oh yeah alex tuck anyways we'll see right i i think that he's someone that will see what he does next year and i agree with you that the deployment will play a big role but uh, he's uh he's looking good he's definitely doing his best to earn a job right uh, and to get more time because yeah he's having a great series and also on the other hand why would vegas change up the lines they're clearly an amazing team they may win the cup this year uh they're doing so well so if uh, it's probably good for them to have a great player like alex tuck on their third line so for sure it's a great way to build a stanley cup contender unfortunately for alex tuck not a great way to build a resume yeah and then i guess also on vegas robin leonard i don't know what is there to say He's great. He's doing so well. Uh, have we got a starter? It's 8.30 p.m. Eastern time right now. I believe their game starts in a, in a couple hours. Do we know who's starting tonight? Uh, it's interesting. Like, I guess the Glenner's coming off a shutout yesterday. He didn't have a huge workload. Uh, on the other hand, maybe you still want to rest him and get Fleury in. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Really funny, that whole thing with this tweet by Alan Walsh, where Fleury had a knife in his back just because, what, because Leonard got game one, which proved to be a very smart decision because he's proving to be one of, like, the best better goalies maybe i think brian you even dropped that he's you think the best goalie in the league right now so yeah i mean what does alan walsh want but uh i guess to try to guilt the team into playing flurry even though leonard's been better i guess so i mean alan walsh has always been someone who's really outspoken looking after his clients and he's i think he was one of the earliest and still one of the biggest probably the biggest twitter presence in terms of nhl agents and he's never been shy to to rattle cages to try and draw some attention and put some pressure on an organization so i guess this was that but it's all it was all super weird right like the picture with flurry with the sword through his back like on the whole was just a bizarre choice to make like first off to choose to create that and second, to put it out into the world thinking it would solve a problem. Uh, I mean, message sent, maybe Vegas got a, a little push and saying, hey, look after my client. Because Alan Walsh has some leverage here, right? He looks after 
He has a ton of clients, a ton of high-profile NHL players in his agency. So he has some swing about where players play. Uh, wow. So uh, it was like a warning shot from Alan Walsh, but seems seemed totally unnecessary. I think there was there was a, a narrative where Marc-Andre Fleury had been mistreated by an organization that he basically started single-handedly. You know, he was a star player coming in. It was telegraphed a year in advance that Fleury was going to be the face of the franchise, and he's given his all to the team. But when it comes down to it, the best players should play. So... Yeah. uh I, I don't think I don't, and I don't think there's much doubt about whether uh, who the better chance to win with lies between Flurry and Liner. Flurry can win a cup. He can have a couple great games. He can have a string of good games, great games, but he's more prone to blowing up than Robin Liner. I would rather have Robin Liner in my net ten nights out of ten. Yeah, of course. Unless I'll, maybe he needs a rest, and that's why you have Flurry in there. So just a kind of a weird, funny situation. And obviously, with Liner as a UFA this summer, it's like. On one hand, yeah, Fleury could think, okay, good, now it'll be my net again. But also, why wouldn't Vegas try to bring Leonard back if they could fit him in? Because it's worked out very well for him, and Fleury obviously had a bit of a rough year. Anyways, let's switch over to, I guess, the Islanders-Phillies series. They're playing right now. I guess that's the tricky thing. Uh, normally, when we're recording these podcasts, we have a whole week of action and so many games. And here we just have these few series, so we're talking about games that are happening. So who knows how much of what we'll say will be out of date. But at this point right now, the series is 2-1 to one for the Islanders after they seem to have a pretty easy time beating Philly yesterday, 3-1, to take that 2-1 series lead. Man, this Islanders team, Brian, don't get mad at me because I'm wearing the hat and talking up the Islanders. They knocked off the Panthers and the Capitals with relative ease, right? Only losing one game in each of those series. Now they're doing very well against the top-seeded Philadelphia Flyers. And here's a pretty wild tidbit. Like, through the three games, so before today... The Islanders, they've scored some goals, right? They've scored four, three, and three goals in the three games. And yesterday was the first game where one player had more than one point in the game. Jordan Eberle had two assists. That was the first multi-point effort for any Islander in the series so far. This is like a full team effort type of team. Like, just you look at the box score after the game, and you've got like 10 different people who've gotten points in a four-goal game. And yes, I guess if we're going to put the spotlight on someone, there's a lot of people we could talk about since everyone's been getting points on this team. Uh, I don't really want to talk about Varlamov. We already have. He's obviously doing a great job. Uh, let's not talk about Barzal because we already know he's amazing. What is there even to say? I guess we should mention that Anders Lee has now pulled a bit of an Alex Tucker. He's scored in three straight games going into today. He'll try to match Tuck's four today. Lee now has scored in six of his last eight games, finally taking advantage of all the time he gets playing with Matt Barzal. It was so weird that Barzal had a good season this past year, but Lee... Only around 50 points. In the past couple seasons, he's paced around 50 points. 25 goals, 50 points-ish. Have you seen anything in this playoffs from Lee to indicate that maybe this could still change? And again, we have an offseason. I had that really fun interview with Arthur Staple where he suggested the Islanders should be in the hunt for like a Taylor Hall to get like a real all-star winger for Barzal. But assuming that doesn't happen and Anders Lee is back as the top-line, top-power play left winger to Barzal, you'd think he should have more in him, right? But he has in the regular season. He's having good playoffs. He is. And uh, I, I've been a believer in Andres Lee for a long while now. And I'm not saying that to sound smart all of a sudden, because now he's doing well in the playoffs, which doesn't prove anything. I'm not about to cherry pick the guys who I'll, I would be right on uh, based on their playoff performances staying true. Uh, but Lee has always had these big fluctuations in shooting percentage since breaking out back in the 16-17 season. And the reason Lee is doing well now is... Uh, his shooting percentage is back in a healthy range. The trouble with projecting Anders Lee in the past has been that his shooting percentage never looks unreasonably 
lower high. Like right now, he's shooting at 14% these playoffs, which is the bottom end of where he's landed the three seasons before this one. But his shooting percentage has sometimes been high enough to be like, oh yeah, he could be that high guy. And then it's been low enough to be like, oh yeah, he could be that low a guy too. But it's never been in a way that looks so unsustainable that we're like, oh no, this can't be the real Anders Lee. So here we are seeing Anders Lee succeed at shooting again, which is lovely. Uh, and it means that I still like him as a mid-50s kind of player. I can't say this is a change in anything I've said before, but I can say that his playoff performance has definitely rekindled some of my dwindling faith in Anders Lee getting back up to his 60-point upside. But of course, Barry Trotz is the coach of the Islanders, which makes it hard to really call anyone other than one guy uh, to be a 60-plus point player. And that one guy is Matt Barzell, not Anders Lee, which puts him back in the 55-ish point range for me. Yeah, I guess the thing is that Barzal maybe has more upside. I, I always kind of think of it as like, you know, Barzal could still maybe be like an 80, 90 point player, even under Barry Trotz. And then how could Anders Lee not like kind of get pulled up a bit with him? So we'll see. Yeah, I remember in that interview, it was like pretty clear that Anders Lee isn't someone who we should expect to be able to have a full consistent season being more than like a 25, 50 point guy, which is really good anyways. But maybe Barzal could pull him higher. And yeah, if his shooting percentage works out, I guess when someone gets a lot of their points through goals that means that they are going to have a lot of variance pulling them one way or the other. So all it takes is like one good stretch of a bit of a lucky shooting percentage. And all of a sudden we're talking about 30 goals, you know, 35 goals. And then that kind of changes everything. So who knows? Maybe this is going to be the start of a run that goes into a big season for Andres Lee. So someone to watch. Always great in fantasy because he takes a lot of shots. Uh, he hits. So, you know, you always like these multi-cat guys that can score goals. Uh, which you don't see right now on Philly as much with the way the Islanders have been shutting them down. Uh, Closure Rue and Travis Konechny continuing to underwhelm anyone who bet big on them in their playoff pools between them the number of goals they have so i'm going to take all the goals that Giroux has scored then i'm going to take all the goals that Konechny has scored i'm going to add them up i'm going to carry okay carry zero goals no goals from either of these supposed like all-star players Uh, in 12 playoff games they have five and four assists respectively i'm curious like who i should be more concerned about or maybe you could just say neither because you'll say that don't worry about playoff games but like uh Giroux's coming off a 63 point season so he was already having a down year compared to what we usually see from him and now he's continuing that into the playoffs then you have konechny who had a breakout season 61 points in 66 games it's a 76 point pace but he's found himself bumped from the top power play just like brock besser right so it's been konechny on the second line and the second power play is playing with kevin hayes who's having a good playoffs himself but like Konechny, like I said, no goals, and now his deployment is falling, so should people be worried about Konechny? Like, I would be right now, like, though I'd rather buy low on him than Brock Besser, but I'm curious to see what you think. Yeah, I'm not so worried about Konechny, but oh man, Uh, you know, the Flyers looked unstoppable going into the playoffs, and now they're in their second straight series of having no solution when up against an airtight defensive team that just seems to be squeezing all their creativity and firepower out of them, which, you know, to the Flyers' credit, is is, it's hard to play against teams like that. I I don't hold it all against them. So I'm not going to draw any conclusions long-term on guys like Konechny and Giroux. Uh, You know, you put them against 25 other teams in the league, and I think you'd see them come alive the way they had been since the calendar turned to 2020. I will, though... Uh, sort of share what's after saying all that, I'm going to mention an unfair stat that illustrates just how sad things are for Philly right now. And it's about Claude Giroux, who's had three playoff appearances. This is third over the last five seasons. 
And uh, they all add up to 24 playoff games going into the night we're recording this. And in those 24 playoff games, Claude Giroux has one single goal. That's it. And only eight assists to go with it. So when your captain, when your leader is only getting that much accomplished, it's hard to imagine uh, how you can have a whole lot of success as a team. This is not to put down Giroux. Uh, you know, who kn- I, I can't remember. I think one of those playoffs, he might have been injured. He had good record in the playoffs before that. So this is not me saying, oh, Giroux can't, can't score when it matters. It's just saying, look, Philly is just being trash right now. Uh, and Philly's bread and butter is their ability to play a two-way game. But when you're just up against these defensive powerhouses, two of the best in the league, especially when Carey Price is on his game, you know, Dallas is the only other team that really comes to mind aside from the Islanders and what we saw Montreal do in in terms of just being able to shut you down. Um, It looks like they've just met their match and run into a wall. And it's really unfortunate because we were so excited about so many of their players going into these playoffs. Couturier, Konechny, Giroud, Voracek was coming back. Uh, Provorov was was starting to come on too. So it's uh, Kevin Hayes. I could keep naming flyers and be like, why aren't they scoring? Uh, but we know why. So uh, I'm not coming up with any long term. I-, I don't think this is going to affect any of my projections for them next season. Okay, so yeah, I think buy low on Konechny, if you can right now, if Konechny yeah. owners are worried, because you could just blame it on their opponents. Also, Brian, a little harsh. They've been trash. Like, they did win that series against Montreal, so... I, oh, sorry, yeah. I mean, I meant they've been... I thought I said they've been trashed, like, oh. by... Yeah. <laughs> okay, I getcha. Uh, okay, so let's switch over now to this Dallas-Colorado series. So uh, I wrote up my little prep here before the game started. It looks like the game's just about to end. Dallas is up 5-4, and I'm seeing four seconds left. So I'm assuming this game is over, which means Dallas goes up three games to one, which is very surprising because I thought Colorado was one of the most dominant teams. Yeah, okay, now I'm seeing the game's over. Colorado was so dominant in the regular season and then in their first round of the playoffs versus Arizona, but maybe that just now, looking back, that just said more about Arizona than Colorado because right now Dallas, yeah, they've totally changed their game. It's wild to see the Stars go from being this defensive team that who you just compared to the Islanders. Now they're, they just won 5-4. So they, they had the ability, maybe they had this ability the whole time like maybe throughout the season when we were wondering like why are Sagan and Radulov and Ben and all these like high scoring players like not getting points why is Dallas winning all these like two to one games maybe that was a choice that they made you know maybe the coach I'm just totally like spitballing here Brian so feel free to bring me back to reality but maybe it's like they had these talented players but they figured that their best way to win games would be to try to keep the score low because they're also very good defensively and then now since they were against Colorado who's such a powerhouse they had to like you know unleash their offensive stars and it seems to be working they're now up three games to one they scored a ton of goals in this series and uh, I don't know. Now I'm very curious, Brian. It's your least favorite type of series. It's three games to one. So for you, it's probably over. You're not even going to watch the rest of it. Uh, but yeah, like, Colorado's in a lot of trouble. And and to add to it, like Grubauer being injured, I thought was like, you know, not great. It's like Tuka Rask leaving for Boston. Not great. But hey, they have a good backup. Pavel Francouz, he's supposed to be a really good player. He had a solid season. But uh, his last three games before today, he had yet to surpass a 900 save percentage. And today, he led in five goals on 26 shots. And he looks like he got pulled. Michael Hutchinson. Who even knew that Hutchinson was the third stringer on Colorado? I didn't. But he, he played and made three saves on three shots. So we'll see what happens for the next game. But yeah, Francis, I don't know if uh, we need to blame him or if we need to blame the team overall or just give all the credit to Dallas. But this is not going the way I expected. No, definitely not. I need to edit my take, by the way, on the 3-1 series. Uh, It was more for like, not this round. This round, I believe Boston's down, Colorado's down. I think they both have a legit chance. But 
last round, the teams down 3-1 didn't have a chance. So that's what made it so boring. It was just get it over gotcha. with. Okay. okay. Um, I could ask you, you a specific question if you want, because I sort of just... No, no, that's like, okay. I, I actually... Is there like um, a Rocky analogy here for Dallas? Like, was Ivan Drago... Correct me if I'm wrong, but was he just like this steely-faced dude who, uh, you know, could just sop up any attempts at attacking... And then when it came time, he could unload. Do I have that wrong? Hmm. From what I recall about Ivan Drago, and it's been a, a few years since I've seen this movie, I think he was the type where he was so powerful. Like there was this like special technology that they invented, like just for him. And he he punched the thing, and it like registered the punch was so strong that it should like kill someone from one punch. So he was like winning his matches. Like his his matches were like one mi- one minute, you know, because he would just punch the guy once, and the guy would probably explode because of how strong <laughs> these punches were. So then like Rocky though was able to take these punches like like a hundred of them like a thousand of them and just keep on getting up and that's why because rocky has you know uh, he has that american can-do attitude (laughs) where you just keep coming back from all of these punches and so then drago like i guess started to get a little tired or it was like a new type of match for him that he wasn't used to because he was used to winning these things you know around in i think the same thing happened actually with clubber lang in rocky three i think that's maybe the common thread in this series after the first two movies where obviously what, what was the that guy's name Apollo, Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed, yeah. I think Apollo Creed had had some real serious boxing matches that had gone along with other people, but like it seemed like Clubber Lang and Ivan Drago just like knocked people out really quickly. So back to hockey. Uh, what are, so does that mean I agree with you or no? <laughs> well, I was going to say that Dallas would be him, but now that you describe it, I feel like that's the Colorado analogy here is a team that could just have their way with anyone. And now that they're being met with some resistance uh, in Dallas, a team that seems to be able to uh, deflect some of these strong attacks have just knocked out every other team in the league. Colorado's a little shaken and not sure what to do with it. Um, it is super weird, though, that Dallas is all of a sudden scoring goals. And it's unnerving to me because... I have wanted this to happen for so long and I finally gave up on it. And now I'm like, no, no, this can't be. I can't go back into, I can't go back down a Dallas scoring rabbit hole and try to understand now once I finally got comfortable with them, why are they only scoring one or two goals so many nights and why are their main stars doing nothing? Uh, Now I have to rethink this whole thing. It's very frustrating and I'm not happy about it. So I'm not going to rethink it until it's, until I need to. But I will say that heading into tonight's game, it seems like Colorado has had the quantity, but Dallas has been finding the quality. And I I think that's also how the season went for them. Um, Like Colorado's had a 55% share of shot attempts at even strength, but Dallas has had a 55% share of the expected goals at even strength, which is usually not how this goes, right? Usually the team with the more shot attempts uh, has the more expected goals, but it's a, it's a pretty big disparity between the two teams and what they're actually being able to to throw towards their opponent's net. So uh, Dallas is really looking good and now looking all of a sudden like a, I'm not all of a sudden. I think they were on our radars for a Stanley cup winning team this year anyway, but I don't think we ever saw the abs being down in a three, one hole. Yeah, and I would have assumed if they were down a 3-1 hole, it would be because they lost a bunch of games like 2-1 to or something, not like 5-4 like these games have been. And also, by the way, Dallas has 
kind of pulled an Islanders. Like, they're also kind of scoring by committee. Like, going into today, it was three games into the series, and Jamie Benn was leading the team with three points in three games. Then Gurianov, Perry, Lindell, Sagan, Haskin, and Radulov all with two points. So again, it was like a lot, and then a lot of players with one points. And you look today, now Klingberg's finally gotten on the board in the series. He had a couple points today. And it looks like today, uh, Dallas has been getting points from Radic Faxa, who had a goal and two assists, and Rupe Hints. So it's like, uh, they're also, like, they're spreading the offense around, which is very different than Colorado, right? Who basically you've got, you know, McKinnon, Landeskog, Kadri, and Rantanen? Did I, did I leave out Rantanen? Yeah, and Rantanen. They, they have their big four forwards. They've got Makar on defense, and no one else had really been doing anything going into today. with two goals today. Yeah, so yeah, today, I guess now Nachushkin <laughs> and Burakovsky start coming out of nowhere and picking up some points for their fantasy owners, but uh, they might be out of the playoffs soon, and they won't be able to produce it all for their owners. So interesting how these teams are working differently. It seems so far, at least from the Islanders in Dallas, uh, if you're able to spread the scoring all throughout your lineup, maybe you have more success, or maybe that's just two examples, and there's probably a lot of counterexamples. Uh, so we had a question here from patron Fred. We're big fans of Fred. He's been around for a while, so thank you so much for asking this question. He wanted to talk about Denis Gurionov who's had a great playoffs, right? He had that crazy four-goal, one-assist game in the last round versus Calgary. He's had a nice series this time. He's not getting the highest minutes. And so Fred asked, like, he's seeing fourth-line minutes, but he's still doing well. What do you think his upside is? I took a look, at least for today, in the last game, uh, Gurianov's been playing on, I think, what we would classify as a second line with Pavelski and Yanmark behind Sagan, Radulov, Ben. So Dallas has gone and loaded up their top line. Then, they, of course, they've got that Faxa, Cogliano, Como line that I think is getting less minutes this series, which, again, I think goes to my theory that Dallas is deciding to play things differently this time and not shut things down so much. Anyways, Gurionov had a good season, right? A good rookie season, and he's having a smart playoffs. He's 23 years old. At this point, is it reasonable to call him a sleeper for next year, or maybe is the cat out of the bag and maybe even he'll be overrated going into next year? I'm curious to know, at this point, what are your thoughts on Gurionov? I recall in our Sean Shapiro interview, I asked him like specifically Rupe Hints versus Gurionov, who has the more offensive upside, and he said Gurionov right then. And so far, I guess Gurionov is having the more exciting playoffs. So yeah, what's your current take? Do you think he's someone that you would try to grab as like a potential 50-point threat next year, or do you think that's shooting too high? We actually had a really interesting conversation on our Facebook group that started with a question about Goryanov, but then went into, what does it mean to be a sleeper anymore? Usually if you start naming someone a sleeper uh, with all the sort of the, the echo chamber of hockey news and fantasy sites and sources, a guy who's a sleeper become someone who can quickly get overrated and reached for in a draft because you want to be the one or you're in leagues with people who want to be the one to say, oh yeah, I'm I'm going to be the cool guy uh, to jump and reach for Denis Gurionov. Don't you worry about it. I know who this guy is and he's going to have a great season and I'm going to look brilliant for doing it, uh, for, for grabbing him where I did. So uh, that's, all, that's another conversation, but it's an interesting piece to consider when we talk about if someone's a sleeper can that even really exist anymore? But in terms of uh, like trying to understand the essence of that question, which is, do you think he's someone who's not on a lot of people's radars who might be able to double his output uh, next year or be someone who's really fantasy relevant? Of course, right? Of course, there's a good chance. The, the thing I don't love about his playoff performance is that he only has two assists in 12 games so far, and his seven goals have come on just 30 shots, which means he's scoring on about a quarter of the shots he takes. Um, this isn't so dissimilar to his regular season where he had only nine assists and his 20 goals came on 130 shots, which is about a 15% shooting rate, which would be reasonable. Uh, but the fact that he's not piling up a bunch of assists to go with his goals 
is concerning for me and that limits what his upside could possibly be. So that that to me feels like he could probably max out at 50 points unless something big about his deployment or usage changes uh, or the way Dallas plays hockey, which uh, like projecting someone like Anders Lee or anyone on LA in the last few years, you need to account for the fact that Dallas doesn't win by scoring goals. They win by shutting you out, waiting for you to make a mistake, and then taking advantage. So this is not a high-scoring team. It's a team where Ben Sagan and Radulov were fantasy irrelevant for large stretches of the season. It's a big hope to think that uh, Denis Gurionov is going to reward you on your fantasy roster for 82 games. Yeah, I mean, it's weird for to hear you saying that after Dallas has scored whatever it is, like 15 goals so I far. I know. <laughs> but like, yeah, you're right that there's no way to know if this is going to carry forward. And I think what, what you said that really hit me is, yeah, most of these points are goals. I think we said the same thing about Anders Lee, right? Most of these points are goals. And so if that shooting percentage goes the other way, all of a sudden he's disappointing you. And you know how like NHL coaches could be, you know, like all of a sudden the player is just having some bad shooting luck. Then, you know, whatever. Then they put him down the lineup to shake things up. And then all of a sudden maybe he, his opportunity goes down. And Dallas obviously, obviously he does have a lot of people who could bump Gurianov out of the top six. So I think I'm going to agree with you. I think that it's very exciting right now. And now at this point to me, overrated, but like, you know, long-term, this guy's got a lot of talent and he could be like a Kubalik next year, you know, and just keep scoring goals. And if he could keep that shooting percentage up, then anything could happen. But that's, you don't really want to bank on that. Like it's not the safest way to play. That's kind of what you're saying, right, Brian? Yeah, exactly. I I wouldn't reach for Dennis Gurianov, especially with the that appeal of reaching for someone and being the knowledgeable one at the table, I would probably, I'd still be interested in him, but I wouldn't want to make a full, like pick him in a spot where I'd be picking a player that I'm making a full season commitment to, at least not yet. We'll we'll see what the off season brings. I'm open to changing my mind. Yeah. And the rest of the playoffs, right? It looks like Dallas might move forward and we might see another four, maybe eight, 12 games out of this guy, depending on how things go. Uh, yeah, at this point, I wonder if some other players on Dallas, like Gurianov is going to get all the hype and then people like Radulov and Ben maybe fall. And obviously we're not as high on them as we once were, but Ben's having himself a nice playoffs, which I think is again, what kind of like what Sean Shapiro called. He said Ben would be good if he didn't have to play so often. You've got to have long rest. So obviously he had the long rest of the pause and now he's coming in strong for these playoffs. So I wonder if next year in your drafts, you let someone else take Gurianov and then you grab like Radulov later on or Jamie Ben and you know maybe they also disappoint you for stretches this is like my better advice do you think think? anybody's you think people are gonna take Gorianov over ben and radulov i wouldn't be so surprised i mean okay it's a good i don't know i'm interested i'd be interested in what the listeners think i'll bet you people in keeper leagues would be interested in Gorianov. uh obviously depends how deep the keeper league is different that's different, of course. But, like, I'd be curious to know because, you know, Ben and, and Radulov are on the downswings, right? Like, they just had really terrible seasons. I think Gurionov was equal to Ben and Radulov this season. I'd have to bring up the numbers. I don't think he was necessarily, like, that much worse than them. And I think people are assuming Gurionov is, like, on the uptrend and Ben and uh, or ben and Radulov, I should say, are, are continuing to go on the downtrend. So, I, I know, we'll look at some draft results next year. Maybe, Brian, take a note and let's look at some draft results next year and see who's getting drafted higher. Because right now, I hear a lot of people talking about Gurionov. No one asked us to talk about is Jamie Ben going to be able to keep this up this year? I, I think people are assuming Jamie Ben won't be able to keep this up next year and he'll be the same as he was this year, which was not especially impactful. Yeah, but still better than Gorianov, who was not better than Radulov or Jamie Ben. Just to, by, to not by much, factor. right? Give me, the, uh, give me the numbers 39 and 69 for Jamie Ben, 34 and 60 for Radulov, and 29 and 64 for Gorianov. So, uh, like a fair, like not a huge gap, but a gap. 
like five points here or there. Yeah, okay. A gap. But again, I, what I'm saying is I think people are assuming that Van and Radulov continue to go down. We'll have that conversation in the summer. We'll see how the rest of the playoffs go. Uh, okay, uh, let's switch over to that last series. Uh, Boston versus Tampa Bay. I think we've talked about the other ones. Uh, Got to give more props to Tom Crowhurst, who we mentioned at the top of the show, who we did that draft last week. And he's crushing it right now. He's currently winning our KKPP division in a big part due to his huge hit on Andre Palat, who he got in round six, which maybe you would have thought was a bit of a reach, but uh, Palat's crushing it. He has six points in four games versus Boston. He's been taking full advantage. I don't know if people realize Palat's been on the top line and the top power play, playing with Kucherov in point, so it's a beautiful spot to be in, and he's racking up the points. It's very annoying, Brian. I took Kucherov third overall in that draft, and every time Kucherov gets a point, and I think, oh great, I'm going to make some ground on, on Tom. No, like Palat gets a point on the same point as Kucherov, so it's nothing. It's like, uh, uh, all evens out to me still being behind. Very frustrating. Brian, do you have any explanation for how Palat can be like so good for these stretches and then always disappear? Like this has been going on forever. He's kind of like a Jamie Ben. I feel like he's good when he's rested maybe, but then you can't rely on him to put up consistent like de- production anymore. Is that kind of the thing with Palat or are we seeing something new? Cause I mean, he's 29 years old now and, but, and he's done this before, but he always, I wouldn't be surprised if Palat disappears at some point in this playoffs again, but right now, man, anyone who grabbed him in their playoff pools are, are love and life. For sure. I actually really like that Jamie Ben comparison because like Ben, he is physical. Uh, he's not quite Jamie Ben's age, but he's, he's a couple years younger, but he's still up there. He's getting to the point where, uh, you know, you can't necessarily use your body. Like, uh, Andre Palat threw 145 hits this season in 69 games as a 28-year-old. Uh, he threw 146 hits as a 22-year-old also. I can, that, that season he had 59 points. I'm not saying hits and points are correlated here, but I think there's a difference between what a 22 and what a 28-year-old can accomplish still and how their body will feel after throwing the same amount of hits. So I, look, I think there is something to that. I think it's an interesting thought. And you look at how healthy Palat has been in the last few seasons. This was actually his healthiest season uh, for a while. The season prior, 64 games. The season prior, 56 games. Uh, he played every game or just about every game this season, which... Uh, I, just goes to say that I do think that the style of hockey he plays might not lend itself well to being fully healthy and capable offensively the whole way through. So it's great that he's making a name for himself again in these playoffs, and he seems to be doing it in a reasonably sustainable way. I don't think we should overlook necessarily either uh, the kind of opportunity consistently that he's getting now, which I think it's been a while since he's had this kind of consistent opportunity at five on five. Like, uh, actually, I, I take that back. I'm looking at who he played with this year. It was like Point and Kucherov for 70% of the season, and he did so little with them. So yeah, I don't know, Elon, why he's such an up and down, a, a, a hit and miss kind of guy, but it's really nice to have him when he hits. Yeah. And he's the kind of guy that you probably want to have on your fantasy team in a multi-category league because he helps you there. And for next year, I don't know, like, obviously, I don't think he'll be overrated in drafts. Also, a lot of people will just assume that, oh, because Stamkos is gone, that's why Palat is getting this opportunity, which might be the case. Like, you said that he played a lot with Kucherov and and Point at, at even strength, but, you know, on the power play, maybe he would get bumped by Stamkos. Or maybe Alex Killorn would, like, who knows? Tampa switches that around every once in a while. But, yeah, it's been fun to watch. And Palat's had a very interesting career. He's been, I think we've been talking about him ever since season one of keeping Carlson back in like 2014 Palat and like Tyler Johnson have been on our radar now Johnson is more so disappeared Palat here he is one of the top performers in the playoffs so far 
another guy who throws the body around on Tampa that we've got to mention is Blake Coleman, who was such a stud for his fantasy owners in New Jersey this season. If you recall, Blake Goldman, as some people were calling him, he kept on scoring, plus all the shots and the hits. He was like really like winning weeks for me in the cupful. Then he got traded to Tampa Bay and everything went downhill. He stopped getting points. He stopped like even throwing as many shots on net. And so, yeah, he kind of assumed, okay, well, on New Jersey, he was a bigger fish in a smaller pond and on Tampa, he's not going to have an impact. Well, hey, uh, Blake Coleman having himself a playoffs as well. He's woken up. He has five points in his last six games from his line three spot with Barkley Goudreau and Yanni Gourd. He's been taking over three shots per game on the regular to get that sweet DraftKings bonus that you get for having three plus shots. Plus he's had games with six hits, like a whole bunch of them. So he's also like producing across the stat sheet. Brian, I've already been S-talking Vincent Trocek over this, these playoffs, so I might as well keep it up. Uh, Blake Coleman, he's better than Trocek for fantasy next year, right? Like even though Coleman's a third liner, probably so is Trocek. And I think I'd be drafting Coleman ahead of Trocek. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would be fair to have given up on Vincent Trocek ever getting a chance and saying, uh, you know, maybe Blake Coleman can still get a chance. But Elon, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna remind you of these numbers. And I want to know if it changes your mind that Coleman had just one point in nine games when he was traded to the Lightning. Yeah, I have a response. So I read an interview. And again, who knows about it? Blake Coleman, I think I saw him say that like he had a bit of a tough time adjusting when he arrived as a new system he had to learn and maybe it's just that's how it works the same thing happened I think when Mark Stone went to Vegas he didn't get a lot of points when he first arrived that might be wrong I don't know but you know what I mean like maybe (laughs) Coleman now has like adjusted he's got his spot on the third line now he's back to taking his three plus shots per game he's throwing all the hits and obviously has to get lucky to get these goals but I don't know maybe I'm not saying he's going to be huge next year but I'm also not big on Trocek so I think Coleman could be a good bet for like 20 goals 20 assists and then like a good number of shots and a great number of hits and he's like a really valuable guy to have on your fantasy team for sure if Coleman and Trocek are both on the third line I'll go with Coleman if Trocek's on a second line I might be more interested in him. Just get Coleman also. Like, I, I, I gave you the regular season cut of those numbers, but even despite the playoffs, Coleman just had uh, one point in his first six games uh, in the round robin and first round of the playoffs. So, I don't know. I think you might be putting a, a lot of weight into these recent games, but we have seen that Blake Coleman is capable. Uh, honestly, I could see him being very much like Andre Palat. These are the types of guys, by the way, who make playoff teams Stanley Cup contenders and champions, right? If you're getting production from your third line, if you're getting production from guys who didn't chip in during the regular season, but all of a sudden it's like found money in the playoffs, uh, that's fantastic. It's just hard to say whether it's uh, because they've improved or that it's any way sustainable. Like for Palat, his ups and downs all the time just feel like variants. This feels like the same thing for him. Coleman, Probably a similar story. Uh, I mean, look back to Anthony Sorelli having a great playoffs a couple years ago with Tampa. That still hasn't panned out to be a huge win in fantasy hockey for Anthony Sorelli. So the same thing could just happen to Coleman. Sorelli's a third liner. Coleman's a third liner. There just might not be room for them to produce where they are for a full season. To be honest, I'd prefer Gurionov to either one of them, but I'm sure you wouldn't argue with me there either. Yeah, well, then it comes down to, like, you know, what categories you care about and, and things like that. But yeah, Gryanov has the more offensive upside. And yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I, I don't even know if I necessarily agree with Coleman greater than Trocek. I, I would need to think about it. I was just, you know, I was cobbling together a show for us to do today. And that's a thought that came to my mind. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Tampa Bay, you know, they lost Steven Stamkos, which is a huge loss. And they've loaded up their top line, which is basically just Kucherov and Point. Like, when you think, you, you assume that Tampa's this, like, high-powered team with so many superstars. But really, it's like 
Point and Kucherov, and that's it for the forwards. And then you've got Hedman, obviously, on defense. And then it's just a bunch of, like, just really solid players. Like, Palat, like you said, we've got a line of Killorn, Tyler Johnson, and Anthony Sorelli, which is obviously doing well. Uh, Coleman, Goudreau, Yanni Gourd. And then even the fourth line, you've got Pat Maroon. I don't know if people remember that he's there. Pat Maroon's kind of like the uh, Zach Bogosian. Of the forwards. Like, you know, you know that this guy's been around forever. Now he happens to be on Tampa. And now these guys might win cups. And you're like, okay, I guess this is where you're going to do it. Uh, so, yeah, this is a strong team. And I agree with you. And I would love to see them against my Islanders in the next round and see if the Islanders could shut down this high-powered Tampa Bay offense. That's how it's looking like it might go. They're like, I don't know. Let's give a mid-game update as we are want to do on the podcast. 0-0 after the first, Philly and the Islanders. So, who knows? Maybe Philly will be able to get a win here. Uh, so I guess on the Boston side of this series, I'd imagine, Brian, I when I was seeing these tweets, I thought of you being very mad about it. The Bruins fans are hating on Yaroslav Halak because he put up two straight sub-900 save percentage games, led in a couple soft goals. You look at the replay, like, oh, maybe he could have had that. Uh, you know, and people are like, oh, you can't rely on Halak. If Rask was there, we'd be doing better. Though, I mean... Would also help the Bruins if they could score more than one goal per game. I don't know if you could really blame these losses on Halak. Like when you lose seven to one, yeah, you could blame the goalie, but also, but though I guess then people say that, oh, but you lose all the momentum when your goalie lets in a goal. Anyway, obviously we're not going to read into Halak having a couple bad games, but at the same time, why can't the Bruins score goals? Is it just Tampa's doing so well, or like what do you think is going to happen here? Who's more likely? Let's put it this way: Boston or Colorado? Who's more likely to come back from their three-one deficit in your mind? I'll go Boston, just because I think Dallas can really, like I said earlier, just squeeze everything out of a team. Uh, so I, I just don't, or no, I said that about the Islanders, but Dallas can do it too. So I think Dallas can probably lock it down better than Tampa, against Colorado, better than Tampa can against Boston. Like the difference between Tampa and Colorado, by the way, even though those aren't the teams we're comparing, you look at the depth of the roster wide depth of Tampa and you compare it to Colorado. And then you see why maybe Colorado uh, just isn't quite there yet. Hmm. I mean, going into the playoffs, we would have been pretty excited about how Nichushkin and Burakovsky and how Donskoy were looking good. But at this point, yeah, I guess we uh, were. But they're uh-huh. not Blake Coleman and Andre Pallad and Anthony Sorelli. <laughs> like, it's just not the same. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. You know, it's interesting. Both Boston and Colorado, the teams that are losing three to one, are both teams where their number one goalie is either hurt or just out of the picture in terms of Rask being gone and back to Finland. So I wonder if we're in a situation where you need to have... Anyways, whatever. I'm not going to read in too much. This is a thought that came to my head. But those would be two teams, I guess, the fans will always be wondering, what if Grubauer didn't get injured? What if Tuka Rask would have stayed in the bubble? Maybe things would have been different, but we'll never know. Uh, okay, so Brian, that's the playoffs. I guess one there's one other team I wanted to talk to you about just because we didn't get a chance because last week we did our draft, so we didn't get to sort of recap the ends of the previous round. But over on St. Louis, there's a couple interesting storylines. So first of all, Vladimir Tarasenko, poor guy. He's going to have another shoulder surgery. He's expected to be out five months, so that means until around January. So who knows like how deep into the season that will be. We don't know when the next season is going to start yet, if it will. Hopefully it will. Uh, but yeah. I wonder, like, if Tarasenko's ever going to be the same. Now, another shoulder surgery. We don't know if he aggravated the injury in the playoffs or if it was, like, a new thing that happened or, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, at this point, we got we already sort of talked about this before when he left with injury, but now having another surgery, it's just, uh, I hope that Tarasenko will get fully healthy again so we'll be able to see him at full capacity for another few seasons. But at this point, you got to wonder if that's ever going to happen. Yeah, it's very murky, not knowing if he was still hurt and came back too fast or was supposedly healed and they didn't know or if this is something new or different. 
Uh, it's concerning, though. And, uh, I, like, there's nothing to say about it at this point, though. This is the sort of thing that you'll follow between now and whenever the next season starts and see what our confidence level is that Tarasenko is up and running. Yeah, I guess if Tarasenko is out, and obviously you don't really like to talk about who benefits from an injury, but I guess that's what we do on this podcast. Uh, so this season... Like, David Perron, I think, is the guy who got on the top power play that's normally not there. Like, well, I don't know. You could tell me. O'Reilly, Perron, Shen, Schwartz were, like, the forwards on the top power play. It seemed to me like Perron would have been the odd man out if Tarasenko had been healthy all year. And he obviously really benefited. He had a great season. So I think with Tarasenko potentially out now to start next season, to me, maybe that raises David Perron's stock. Uh, That's the best I got for you for a fantasy impact of Tarasenko missing the start of next season. Yeah, you're way too early fantasy impact. Okay, yeah. And then the other thing we got to talk about is Jordan Binnington did not have a good playoffs. He ended the playoffs with an 851 save percentage in his five games, no wins. Meanwhile, Jake Allen also played five games, had a 935 save percentage. We've talked about this to death, but I feel like let's just put a stamp on it here now that it's it's over. Like we already talked about how Allen outperformed Binnington in the regular season, obviously in many fewer games. Uh, but now going to next season, like what are people going to do? Like, do you draft Binnington? Do you draft Jake Allen, like, and also remember this goalie Jim Carrey, who was on the Washington Capitals and won the, I think it was the Vesna you, Trophy. You've been on goalie post too recently, haven't? Yeah, haven't I you? did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> how how much do I have to cite like when I read things? And then you're, you're right. I think I did see that tweet. I don't think I actually went on goalie post, but I think I saw a tweet go by about like is Binnington the next Jim Carrey? And yeah, it's a goalie. You know, great rookie season and then completely disappeared. And uh, I'm not saying Binnington will completely disappear, but I'm not not saying that because this hasn't been a great season. And now I want next year is going to be pretty huge. Like if Binnington struggles again next year, it won't be long before people start calling this guy, you know, a one hit wonder. For sure. I, but it's it's too soon for that. But it's also too soon uh, to know whether the Blues have learned anything from their playoff choice to play Bennington over Allen. I still remember in the final game of that series, in the final couple games, like I just assumed Jake Allen was starting and then I went to the box scores and I was like, what? Is is this is this really like the Blues really went with Bennington here against all evidence and reason. I mean, sure, Bennington's the guy who you want to cup with. You want to be loyal. You want to say that, hey, we still believe in you. Uh, but this is the same mistake Pittsburgh made in the first round, too. You just, you got to go with the new hotness, especially if you're in a short-term series with high-stakes implications. No one would have blamed them for going with Jake Allen, but there's a lot of blame to go around for the Blues choosing Bennington. So we'll see what happens. I, I think, honestly, Allen is a good tandem goalie. I don't think he can ever be more than that. So either way, they both play 40 games next year. They both probably do pretty well. The end. It's not a very exciting uh, goalie fantasy-wise situation for me. Yeah. It'll be fun to do a recap of the year. Maybe at the end, whose goalie's stock dropped the most from the beginning of the season to now? And it must be Bennington, because I believe he was being drafted like third, fourth goalie taken in a lot of leagues going into this year after leading the Blues to the Cup. And now next year, like, good luck being in the top 15 goalies drafted with the way things went and with Allen also having done so well. By the way, I need to correct myself. I think I said that Pat Maroon might win his like first cup th- this year. I think I might have said that when I was rambling about Tampa. Obviously, he won last year with yeah. St. Louis. So uh, he'd be maybe going for his second cup in two years. Which would be pretty cool then. I guess a lot of teams are going to be going after Pat Maroon for next year because he's a good luck charm. That's what I'd go Hollywood saying here. Pat Maroon, their spirit guide on their road to the cup. Uh, so Brian, that is now everything that I had planned to talk about on this episode. Uh, any final thoughts on your side before we wrap this baby up? No, let's wrap this baby up. Let's swaddle it. 
Okay. <laughs> you could tell that this is a dad here because you were very quick on the uptake with that one. Okay. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Again, check the show notes for all of the links for everything that we were talking about over at the start. Uh, but yeah, Brian, I guess... What else should I say? Uh, oh, yeah. We would love a follow on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. We don't actually get much feedback for our shows. I'm going to throw it out there. Like, it's fine. Like, if you're enjoying the show in silent, that's cool. But if you like the show, you know, let, let us know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'd like to know if, if people like it or if you didn't like something about it. You know, I always like to hear things about how we can improve. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know your thoughts. If you made it to the end and you liked it or you didn't like it. Uh, obviously, we always appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're rating your podcast. Uh, can I also it. add, if you write a note with that, it's also really fantastic not just don't just hit five stars but write a write a nice thing about us yeah i mean i'll take it i I can use a compliment my wife likes to tell me that i'm driven by compliments and and they maybe they fuel me more than they should but uh, i'll just have to own that i think that's just who i am so yeah i'll take a compliment if it's if it's gonna be a negative thing leave it to twitter okay and not on apple Podcasts. that's a permanent thing that i don't like just having to read that every single time but on twitter fine yeah let us know if you didn't like something but okay Blah, blah, blah. Oh, we have our patron program, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We're having a lot of fun with the patrons. You join our Facebook group. You join our Discord. Uh, we're chatting all over the place, right? Brian and I are on both, right? So you write something somewhere. If you want a response from us, we'll, we'll be there. We'll see it. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast talking hockey with all the patrons all throughout the summer. And we've still got a few weeks left. So let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, before I do, I'll just remind everyone that we have our list of hockey sport anti-racism resources posted at keepingcarlson.com slash BLM. Make sure to check them out. Uh, logo art for this episode and every episode by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World. Great job, as always, Brian. This is a blast. Uh, next week, will we be done this round? I feel like things go by so fast. We might, I don't know what we're going to do next week, but I think if this round is over, we might have another draft for the final four of the KKPP. That's one episode idea. Uh, so we'll see what happens. A lot could happen. Uh, but yeah, hope you've liked the show. And stick around because we're going to be back at you with another episode next week. See you next week. And remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>